0: Jesus is enough, or as they say in Corsican, Jegesu he abastanza. I like that. Welcome to Grace Walk Radio. I'm your host, Derek Lewandusky, and I'm here with my co-host, Caleb Iceberg, which is melting in the hot New York sun now, Berg. Welcome, Caleb. Howdy.
1: Man, I like the way that, that last one ends. Abastanza. That sounds, that sounds I don't know, just... Gets you.
0: I mean, isn't Corsican, that would be like part of Italy,
1: right? Maybe so. I mm. don't know. You know Just what? Testing my geographical limitations here. Caleb and
0: I have decided it is. So <laughs> it Corsican, is. wherever you are located <laughs> in the world, we have hereby decreed on this show you are now part of Italy. Yep.
1: Congratulations. I mean, unless you don't want to be part of Italy.
0: <laughs> well, they've got they've got, um good soccer team or, or European do. football team, right? Okay. Yeah,
1: they do. Right. Um, you know... I'll say this about them: uh, they've struggled at times, um, but you know the last couple years they've put together a good showing in in Italy. Uh, you know, I mean, it helps when you're spending money on players like Cristiano Ronaldo and you're you're spending all the dollars. It it helps to you know get there, but good effort.
0: Well, thank you for the European <laughs> football update, Caleb. Much appreciation. Yeah. Um, welcome to all of you to Grace Walk Radio. Our mission is to uh, talk about how to live under grace in a modern world and to talk about the gospel of grace in belief and practice. So we are right in the middle of a series on Reformed theology. <clears throat> we've um, we've already hit the, the T, total depravity, uh, U, uh, unconditional election, and uh, we, we also talked about some objections to that doctrine uh, in last week's show. Mm-hmm. And today... We get to talk about, for me, actually, probably the toughest, the toughest one for me to like okay. finally say, yeah, I'm in on that. <laughs> uh, and that is, if we're using the, the TULIP acronym, it's limited atonement, yeah. uh, but which has more commonly been called recently particular yeah. atonement. Uh, Caleb, any thoughts on the series so far?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it, and uh, I've heard some good feedback as well from those who listen who um, are communicating with me. And if you're not communicating with me, why not? No. Maybe uh, it's because they don't enjoy it. <laughs> maybe because they don't enjoy it. No. Uh, if you are listening and and you want to communicate with us, as always, um, feel free to hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, at Caleb Berg, at Derek Levandusky. Yeah, and, and reach out and if you have feedback, whether positive or negative, we're not just trying to solicit high fives. Um but if you enjoy it and if you have questions, if you have objections, reach out to us. Uh more than willing to to talk through some of this stuff. But um from what I've seen, uh this has been a good series and or maybe I should say what I've heard. Um I I I like you probably struggled a little bit more with this doctrine. Um probably because of the fairness issue again. And so maybe we'll work through some of that. But um yeah, this was probably where I raised the most objection.
0: So particular atonement, uh limited atonement, uh, which sounds very little a little meaner, doesn't it? Say limited, right? Yeah. Um when really it's it's all um should express the beauty of God's generosity right. that he He has chosen by his grace to save some. Um, the idea of particular atonement is that, to say it simply, Jesus Christ died for his elect church, not for the whole world. Yeah. And, of course, the immediate pushback is, well, God so loved the world, and you know it's not his will that any should perish. And we talked about some of those objections last week. Um, but l- let me just say this. I'm, I'm going to quote some scripture and, and I'm going to make some some comments. <clears throat> um, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you have been bought with a price. Right? Jesus purchased on the cross with his death and resurrection. He purchased lost souls from slavery. He knew specifically who he was purchasing, Jesus in Matthew 16 said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Revelation 5 uh, has a similar theme of, of purchased souls when it says, and they sang a new song, this is Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language And people and nation. So Jesus, with payment of his own blood, purchased his redeemed church. And one of the things that convinced me of this, I mean, obviously, scripture, but one of the things that scripture convinced me of was this idea right here. And this is how I wrestled with it. Mm -hmm. I had a very, very hard time when it came down to it, believing that Jesus merely died for the potential. Of saving his church, because if you take the the free will Arminian tack on this, <clears throat> it basically says that God would never, ever, ever exert His uh, pressure or His will or His desires on the human heart in a way that would uh, cause a person to, uh, you know, to act against their own will, and of course, not even. A Calvinist says that. Um, he just, God wills for the person to will, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, Ezekiel, is it Ezekiel 37 that says, um, I will take out your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will cause you to walk in my ways and to keep my statutes and my laws. So this is just talking about giving us a new nature that includes a desire to, to choose God. And we'll talk about more about that with Irresistible Grace uh, next week. But I had a hard time believing that Jesus merely died for the potential, and, and that's what Arminian is. That's what the Armenian view says: is that Jesus potentially died for no one because everyone yeah. could ultimately reject him, according to you know a higher view of free will. I don't see that. There's, that's not in Scripture. You can't yeah. conclude that if you come to Scripture f- fairly and let Scripture speak to you instead of you speaking to it. He purchased souls. He says I will build my church. Yeah. He he intended to accomplish something and he says I'm gonna do it. And and so to suggest that he just created potential um doesn't square with the language of scripture yeah. and doesn't square with what the gospel says Jesus did on the cross.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Um I always looked at this doctrine as, um, in a way I looked at the limited aspect of it and thought of it as a very small view, but I guess in really wrestling with it, I've, I've flip-flopped that, whereas now I believe that, you know, particular atonement, definitive atonement, definite atonement, whatever you want to call it, um, or even if you want to remain with the term limited, um, I actually believe that it's a much bigger view of the atoning work of Christ. And, and like you, that potential aspect, I began to see as problematic. You know, if, if Jesus died only for the possibility for people to be born again, then there is the chance that he died for no one. But in dying for the sins of the world, you know, I don't deny the scripture that says he he shed his blood for the sins of the world, um, you know, and there's probably some problem texts that we can look at um, in regard to that, but um, he died to effectively purchase the souls of the elect. And not only did he die, die for the possibility, he actually purchased everything that was needed to save somebody, including the grace and the faith that would be required, because the Bible teaches us that those are gifts. Even the faith that we have to believe is a gift, and it comes from him. So, in atoning for our sin on the cross, not only did he purchase the possibility, but he actually purchased the ability to become uh, born again, including everything that surrounds it, including the very faith that we are saying is necessary to be born again. Yeah, what does it is finished mean?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, what, yeah, what aspect of that can you claim? If, if, you're only, if you're only believing it's the potential for salvation, it is finished actually isn't.
0: No, then it he, can't he, be he should say it might be finished. This might work. Yeah, and, and, and you know, if, if people could ultimately resist God uh, when he resists their resistance, um, then really what we should say is God so loved the world that he gave the Son, that whoever believes in him sh- uh, shall not perish, but might have eternal life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when, you know, I think you were, you were referencing at least uh, a scripture like this from yeah. Ephesians 2, 8, very well-known verse, but... Dig into this and look at what it's saying. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, that, that's the gospel. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yeah. Okay? If it's me, I can boast. If it's a faith muscle
1: that I just have to flex.
0: Then I can boast. But even the language of, in the Greek itself, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this, that word this is plural. Mm-hmm referring to everything that came before it. Well, what came before it? Grace, salvation, and faith. Yeah. Okay? So this speaks of faith as a gift from God. Um, I thought it would be helpful to um, maybe read a little bit of a kind of a brief summary of uh, particular atonement from Ligonier Ministries. Okay. Uh, I thought this was excellent. This is from their website. No discussion of the atonement of Jesus would be complete without a consideration of the intent and extent of the atonement. Here we are addressing the question, for whom did Christ die? Did he die to atone for the sins of all human beings who will ever live? Or did he die to atone only for the sins of a particular people, namely his people, the elect? Traditionally, the concept of particular atonement is known as limited atonement. We mentioned that and it is associated only with Reformed theology. This association is regrettable because all true Christians must agree that the atonement is limited in some way. And they explain that in a second. Experience and more important, the testimony of Scripture tell us that not everyone will be saved. Some people refuse to believe in him and do not have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Essentially, they, they write, there are only two ways in which the atonement can be limited. Either... The atonement's power to save is limited because its efficacy is dependent upon human response or the intent and extent of Christ's death is limited to the elect. In the first case, the Arminian position, we have a potential atonement that does not actually redeem anyone, but must be combined with a human response to achieve saving power. In the second case, the reform position, the atonement actually saves people, but not everyone. Here, our faith ultimately results from Christ paying for our sins. We do not work it up in ourselves to make the cross effective. And then I'll, I'll just add this part of the article because we've talked about it. If the atonement's power is merely potential, as in the Arminian view, it had the potential to save no one. There was a the possibility that no one would ever make a free will decision for Christ. But Scripture never depicts a potential atonement. Jesus did not go to the cross to make salvation possible, he was crucified. To save a people for Himself, yeah. Amen. I, I think that's uh, I think that's excellent, and uh, you can you can uh, read more of that article and more articles like that on Legionier uh, Ministries website. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I think you know we should add, and we should always add: no one who wants to come will be rejected. <laughs> Yeah. Right? (laughs) So I think, you you know, you talked about how you struggled with this. I struggled with this and the question of of fairness. Well, first of all, again, if you believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and in total depravity, that the starting point is nothing good dwells in my flesh and that Adam's sin is imputed to the entire human race, no one deserves to be saved. God is under obligation to save no one. So don't talk about fairness, right? Right. We have to tell our hearts that. Um, But also I think this idea... That that that's raised in fairness is the uh, unrealistic, uh, unbiblical idea that there's people that want to get in, right. that God says no. You know, like like there's all, there's ten people knocking at the door of heaven, and God looks at the ten and goes, um, "Yup, yep, yup, no, no, yes, yes, no, yes, no." Right? It's not it's not how it works, and I think you referenced this last week, but. Uh, or you know, I, actually, I heard that you talked about this. Uh, my son actually regurgitated it because you talked <laughs> about this idea uh, with our our youth group uh, and, uh, last week. What the idea of particular atonement is, and election is, is everyone running in rebellion from God, mm-hmm. everyone, and God reaching out in His mercy and grace and saving some, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I remember the uh, Mark Driscoll story you can see it on youtube and i yeah. think you had a similar story you shared with youth from your own uh, extended family about his daughter running into the street and there was a car a truck coming and she she was going to die yeah. and she you know he preached repentance to her stop don't do it don't go and he had to reach out and grab her and pull her back and i'll never forget you know driscoll said that yeah that is election and i think that's such a a beautiful picture. So, yeah, I think when we see that, we see when we understand it that way, we see that it 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 is mercy and grace, not this narrow, nasty, uh, you know, view of a mean God view that some people yeah. have.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an unfair argument to say that Reformed theology shuts the door and locks it on whosoever will. Um, rather, I think what Reformed theology does is it gives you. Um, a structure and an understanding of what's taking place, causing whosoever will. Yeah. So, we believe and we agree and give a hearty amen to whosoever will. We just teach that the reason someone is willing is because God has willed. The
0: whosoever, we yeah. talked about this last week, come from the wind. Yeah. <laughs> the wind blows yeah. where it wishes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. A few verses later, God so loved the world that whosoever... Okay, where do the whosoever's come from? Jesus is telling us earlier in the text. Um, Jesus also said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay. So he, like a good shepherd who knew who his flock was, you know, was when, when he gave his life in ancient times or, or defended his sheep in ancient times, Jesus is saying, I know who my sheep are. He goes on to say, later on in John 10, verses 14 through 16, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Yeah. So clearly, Jesus... um, is that good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep.
1: Um, Revelation 5, 9 through 10, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. It doesn't say that he ransomed for himself the potential Of any people. This is a specific people, people from every tribe, people from every language, people from every nation, a specific people. Um, It's not just that he had his fingers crossed that there would be representation from every tribe, hoping.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know if I'm smart enough to regurgitate the whole argument here, but uh, do yourself a favor and go look at John Owens' argument uh, on. Uh, the doctrine of election and particular atonement when he talks about uh you know <clears throat> Jesus died for some of the sins of all men, all the sins of some men, all the sins of all men. Uh, only one of those is true. And uh, uh he makes a good argument uh he makes a good argument with that. And uh, you, you should uh, check that out if you if you're interested in, in seeing that. Uh John 17 uh Jesus says Father, the hour is come. glorify your Son that he may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him okay so <clears throat> this is where you know i 've heard some you know who want to get away from the narrowness of limited atonement um, i 've heard some call it unlimited, limited atonement. Huh. You know, And when we read uh, George Whitfield's writings in his response to John Wesley in one of our recent podcasts, he talked about how he preaches promiscuously to mm-hmm. all men. <clears throat> I think I heard Mark Driscoll uh, say several times, you know, preach like an Arminian, believe like a Calvinist. In other words, we offer the gospel to everyone. Yeah. We don't look, you know, and go, well, that person is probably not elect, so we're not going <laughs> to preach to them. <clears throat> no, we, we preach promiscuously, we preach to, uh, to everyone uh, and, and leave it up to God to whom the atonement applies. And so the idea of unlimited, limited atonement is, hypothetically speaking, anyone is a candidate for salvation and we should minister and be on mission and preach that way. Um, but God the Father chooses those to whom the atonement of Christ the Son Applies, yeah, and you know, and works with God, the Holy Spirit. So there's the, the triune God working in the process of election in that way. Uh, but you know, there's there's a there's an amiable, gracious, warm way of looking at this. Uh, and again, I wrestled, I wrestled and struggled with this. I probably for a while would have said, "Yeah, I'm a four point yeah. uh, Calvinist." But the more I looked at Scripture, and the more I let my defenses around the uh oh the the sacred glory of human free will, the more I let that drop and didn't feel an allegiance to that idea, um, and the, the more I saw God's grace and the necessity of intervening grace for someone to be saved, and if I believe that, then I must believe that atonement is particular it's it's definite for his church
1: yeah, uh, John Piper from his tulip conference, (coughs) says this, uh, Christ died for all people, but not for all in the same sense. His death for all is for all in the sense that whoever would believe will be saved by the blood of Jesus. Christ is available to all, offered to all. When we preach, we offer Christ and all that he accomplished. We offer him in the fullness of his achievement to all. But the fullness of his achievement is much more than making it possible for all people to be saved – In shedding the blood of the covenant, Christ secured the promise of God to circumcise the heart of his people, take out the heart of stone, bring them to faith, and write the law on their heart. He died to convert a people for himself.
0: You know, maybe you're listening to all this and you're going, why why are you guys talking about this? Like, Why why do Christians, why do Calvinists, why do those who believe in Reformed theology— Obsess over these things. You know, aren't you just splitting theological hairs? Aren't you just being divisive? No, we're being biblical, right? We, we talked about how there are uh, – the language of some in the modern churches, there are essential and non-essential doctrines for fellowship. And you know, in our church, we don't use that language because we don't want to communicate important and unimportant. Yeah. Right? The scriptures talk about this, which must mean it's important. The language we use is open and closed hand. So um, what's in the closed hand? You know, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. I mean, how a man is justified before God, the incarnation of Christ, who Jesus is. Those are those are close-handed doctrines uh, because to not believe them would make you not a Christian. Yeah. We put these things in the open hand because uh, it, it's, it takes a while to wrestle with these things. They are not issues of salvation or fellowship for us. I tell people all the time in our church, you can be happily you know, anti-predestinarian. You can be happily anti-reformed and, and uh, you can be here. We're going to love you. Uh, you're wrong, right? But we're going to love you <laughs> in Christ anyway. And we can fellowship around yeah. uh, justification by faith in the gospel. Um, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't wrestle with these things because they are in scripture. So why? Well, let's go back to Ephesians one, to the praise yeah. of his glorious grace. This stuff deepens our worship. It deepens our understanding of God's attributes and character. And it deepens our, our grasp of grace and the necessity of it, and therefore the necessity of the cross and the beauty of the the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So that's why. It's yeah. to the praise of his glorious grace. And um, I'm going to read one concluding statement from Ligonier. Before I do that, Caleb, any final thoughts on this?
1: Just a, a thought, you know, if if God loves me this much, that this is the way that he brought about my salvation, it just shows how big he is and how he spares no effort. He sent his beloved son to this earth to purchase my salvation, and not just the possibility of my salvation, but to bring me into relationship, to take away my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, all to show the glory of His grace. All to show the glory of His love and how beautiful He is. If He if He will do that, um, I can have confidence uh, that He's going to finish what He began. That this isn't an open-ended thing that I enter in and then just go, okay, now what? You know, I got to cling. You better keep up. I got to knuckle up and, and do the best I can. Right. You know, no, like, God is doing this work. It It shows again, the bigness of God. And that's what keeps bringing me back to these doctrines. So even when I struggle, um, I don't struggle so much with this doctrine anymore, but when when I did struggle with it, the reason why I continued to wrestle with it is because I still believed in the bigness of God. And I, I said, okay, well, if total depravity is true, and I believe it is, if... Um, Unconditional election is true, and I believe that it is. Then this leads me to particular atonement, and I go, "This has got to be true." Even though I wrestle with it, and maybe my flesh goes, "Nah," mm. I still come back to Scripture, where God is saying, "This is how it works." Mm. And now I, I can, and I can look at the framework of how I am born again. And yeah, there's a lot of mystery there still. I, I we won't have it all figured out. Mm. This is just theological frameworks here. Um, but it brings my heart to rejoice and to praise God. Yeah, you've used the
0: phrase big God a couple times there. And just a reminder, like that that's one of the synonyms of this theological system, big God theology. What, what does that imply about you then? Small <laughs> yeah. man, small person theology. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, after I went through, you know, after I was smashed in... A season of darkness and wilderness and depression and anxiety disorder, and the Lord kind of started bringing me in, into all this stuff, starting with total depravity, and then perseverance of the saints, and then as I, you know, studied scripture, I kind of came into some of these other, uh, you know, grasped some of these other doctrines. Um, you know, it he he just he opened my eyes to the to the beauty of it, and I uh, I don't remember where I was going with that exactly, but um, you know, it becomes beautiful, yeah. it becomes a it becomes a warm blanket, um, so let me conclude with this, uh, this piece of the article from Ligoner christ's death and eternally, Christ's death truly and eternally secured our redemption. We do not experience the blessing of the atonement because we have faith, rather, we have faith because Jesus actually atoned for our sins and sent the Spirit to give us the gift of faith, ephesians two eight and nine Jesus never fails to accomplish. That which he has settled to do from all eternity, because he surely accomplished our salvation, we know that we can trust him to consummate his plan. And of course, today in the live stream, we talked about the the, the, the verse in Revelation uh, thirteen uh, that from the foundation of the world, our names were written in the Lamb's book of yeah. life. Your salvation was not your idea; <laughs> it's God's idea. Yeah. And I, I guess I'll just finish with this thought, too. When I studied John 17 years back, I just had this stunning moment when I realized our salvation is actually a covenant agreement between God the Father and Christ the Son, yeah. not you hmm. and God. It felt it, – it, in the way it works out, it feels like it's you yeah. and God. But when we read John 17, we realize – you know, he says, "Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth." And I ask not only for these disciples of mine, but for all who would believe through their word. Our salvation was an agreement between the Father and the Son, and it was uh, it was finished. Yeah. At the cross, and now it's just it it's just being appropriated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. But it's finished.
1: Amen. So that's the homework assignment, though. Today, go read Romans eight and nine and John seventeen. Yeah. If if you are struggling with these things, you know, my encouragement is: it's helpful to listen to podcasts like this and and other teaching. But just go to Scripture, you know, and read through the book of Ephesians, like the entire book, and read through Romans eight and nine, read through John seventeen and John six and John chapter three. It's it's there and. I encourage you, like we've expressed a few times, like lay aside the preconceived notions as you read through these mm. texts, and just let Scripture minister to you and the Holy Spirit minister to you. Um, that, that <laughs> I, I, I firmly believe that um, as my eyes were being opened to these these gospel truths, um, that's that's kind of what sealed the deal for me. Was not any words that any man had; it was just Scripture. Mm. Amen.
0: Let's pray. Father, we turn to you now and your Holy Spirit at work in the hearts of believers. And I pray, Father, that we would experience the uh, comfort and deep worship that comes along with grasping the doctrines of grace. I pray for those, Lord, who uh, have suffered or are suffering, that, Lord, they would feel as though the scriptures are finally explaining their life that God has been sovereign in all of it. Lord, that there is a hedge of protection around us, but you control the, uh, the flow of trouble in our lives, the intensity of it, the frequency of it, to the praise of your glorious grace, that, Lord, you might receive glory and we might uh, be sanctified and see your goodness. So I pray that that would comfort us, and I pray, Lord, that we would We would praise you for who you are and what you've done. Not for what we've done, but what you've done. And that we would throw our crowns down at your feet and worship. I thank you for this time, Lord, with those listening today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is enough.